0: Let's go to the Word of God. We're going to be looking again. We're going through Philippians. I'm going to wrap up with Philippians chapter 2 today. And again, this is the way to joy, a life poured out. Stand with me for the reading of the Word. I'm going to focus on verse 17-18 through to start, but we're going to go through the whole chapter. The Word of our Lord, Philippians chapter 2, 17-18. through 18. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all, For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord God, this day that you open up our hearts. You get a picture here in Philippians chapter 2 of what it is to be a genuine Christian, a true Christian. I want to pray, Lord God, that you would imprint upon each and every one of our hearts, Lord God, your word today and your calling, the very purpose you have for our lives. And I pray, Lord God, you'd have your way with every one of us here today and you'd be glorified in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Have you noticed that Jesus intentionally seeks to shake us up? If you haven't, I would wonder if you really know him, and if you are truly a Christian. He seeks to shake us up, and to shake us out of our self-centeredness, of our self-consumed lives. He uses the Word, he uses the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit's conviction, and he uses it by giving us examples throughout the scriptures of what a true Christian is like in his Word. At times it's disturbing. Sometimes you receive it, maybe sometimes you don't. I see people who come to the church, I believe there are some who receive it and some who run away from it and forget it within a literal second. Philippians chapter 2 is an example, and you really have four examples of what it is to live a true Christian life Paul, Timothy, Epaphrodites, and Jesus. You now we sing a song, we sing a song here in the church on occasion, All to Jesus I Surrender. Have you? Have you this morning? Could you say that you're surrendered right now? To Jesus. There's a, a, a funny story about the Pope and he was having some serious heart problems and his cardiologist said you're going to have to have a heart transplant. So he said, you know, what should I do? So he stood before all the, the, the believers, the Catholic believers at the Vatican and um, he told them that I'm dying, my heart is failing, And the people then began all to scream out, Take him, my heart, Pope! Take him, my heart, Pope! Take him, my heart, Pope! So the Pope, he didn't know what to do, so he went back inside, and one of the key bishops, he said to the bishop, "What, What should I do? And the bishop said, Here, take this feather and throw it out, and the person who is crying out, take of my heart, Pope, the person it lands on, that's the person that is going to give you their heart so that you can live on. And so the Pope went out, and he told the people, and he took the feather, and he threw it out. And as the feather began to float down, the people began to cry out, take of my heart, Pope! <sighs> take of my heart, Pope! <sighs> take of my heart, Pope! <sighs> Now, you may laugh. I've been doing this for over 40 years. And I've been watching people coming in and out of this building and other church buildings who say, take of my heart, Jesus. (sighs) Take of my heart, Jesus. (sighs) Have you truly given him your heart? The Christian life is a, a, a life poured out. It is a life poured out for his glory. It is a life poured out for the advancement of his kingdom. It is a life poured out for the saving of souls. It is a life when poured out brings great joy. When you give your all and you give your best and you truly are living giving the Lord 100%, it feels really good. It brings incredible joy. But if you claim to be a Christian and you're just winging it, you know, say, wing it, people. Winging it for Jesus. We well, should be a hymn that's made like, winging it for Jesus. You know what? It's actually a miserable life. So... In Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Solomon wrote, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And he says, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. And some people have taken that as Solomon in his a state of, of fatalism, believing that there's not an afterlife. I don't think that's what he meant. I think what he meant is right now is the time you have to live for Jesus. Because this is the time that really counts. This is the season that we are in because the things that you are going to do in the next life, they are not going to account. Okay? I mean, we're going to be living completely in His in His realm of grace and glory. But right now is the day. Right now is the time. Right now is the season. Right now is the opportunity to glorify the Lord and to pour out your life. To give it your All to prove your love, your devotion to Christ. I I came across this article a few months ago, Deathbed Regrets. And these were some of the major regrets that people were recorded as saying on their deathbed. One, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself. A life true to my convictions and my beliefs. I wish I had been more loving to the people who matter the most. I wish I had taken more risks. I wish I hadn't spent my entire life in my comfort zone. And I regret that I took more than I gave. I think when you, when you look at those, those five statements, you see, those are people who did not pour out their lives. They obviously did not pour out their lives. So again, Philippians 2 is about pouring out your life through these, again, four great examples. Four people who gave their best. Four people, you know, there's a saying, if you played sports, I left it all on the field. And there's four people here who left it all on the field. They, they again, they gave it their all. One of the, one of the most famous pictures. In NFL history is this picture of a New York Giant quarterback, Y.A. Tittle. It was taken against the Pittsburgh Steelers on September 20th in 1964. Look at him. He had just thrown an interception, he had taken some major hits. He's bleeding from his head. He looks exa- exhausted. I mean, he looks like a man who has nothing left, but he's a man who didn't leave anything on the field. Are you leaving anything right? On the field? Or are you giving it your all? Are you just pouring yourself out for the Lord? So let's look. Let's look at these four people. First, Paul. A life poured out. Verse 17 and 18, I'll read it to you again. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I want you you to notice, see the word I am and I underlined it? He he is saying here, I am being poured out. Not that I decided to pour it out once. It's the idea of um, continuous process. It's not one and done. There's a lot of one and done Christianity. Have you noticed that one and done Christianity? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was born again. Yeah, I was born again, you know, 25 years ago. Well, have you experienced that newness, that vitality, that energy, that filling of the Spirit in the last 25 years? Well, I was doing this for God many years ago. What are you doing for God right now? Maybe somebody comes up and gets in my face and they start complaining maybe about something that I've preached or something that I've said, something that I've looked at people and said, and what are you doing for God? What are you doing for God? Besides just discouraging. Paul's entire life was a life poured out. His, his life of, of, of prayer, of worship, his ministry, his life of giving, it's, it's a life of sacrifice. And he says it right there, right? I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of service. You know what sacrifice is? Sacrifice costs you something. Sacrifice is giving up something that is valuable in order to advance the gospel and glorify God. What are you sacrificing right now? What is your Christian life? What is the cost that you are paying in your Christian life right now? So Paul in in chapter 3 of Philippians verse 9, he says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So he is here saying, as he says a number of times in Philippians, imitate me. He's saying, here's your example. And Paul is a, is a wonderful example. I'll tell you, as a pastor, Paul's scholarship, he was a scholar. You know, he really delved into the Word of God. He was deep into the Word of God. You know, he just, he just didn't spit out, right, things. I mean, he was, he was a man of, of scholarship, a man of, of prayer, a man of sacrifice, a man of faith, a man who, who loved Christ. And all those things I, I, I admire so much about Paul. But there's, there's one thing that, that really kind of blows my mind about Paul, and that is Paul's endurance, his his toughness. Paul was so incredibly tough, mentally, physically, spiritually tough. No matter how many times he got knocked down, he just kept getting up. He just kept getting up. He, he was essentially unconquerable. He was undiscourageable. He was undefeatable. Look at what he writes in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-two through 29. I find most of us, we would have stopped at the beginning of verse 22. <laughs> Are they Hebrews? Right? He's being attacked by the Corinthians, this critical bunch. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received the forty stripes minus one. It stripped the skin right off your back. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches, who is weak and I am not weak. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation. There is a, a picture of a man who poured out his life. Who left it right. He left it all on the field. He gave his back. I can't even imagine right. Go, I mean going through. I mean geez. Going through just. I mean beaten over and over and over again. And it couldn't stop him. His, his final words. Paul knew that he was he was soon to die. He knew he was in the fourth quarter. I mean, the two-minute warning had already gone off. He's waiting, he's waiting for the, the gun to go off that would you know, end, end the game. And in 2 Timothy 4.7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. I want you, I want you to notice again, notice, I have. Right? He, 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 he did it. He, he, he finished it. I have, I have, I have, I have. And he left the field of his life, having given his best, having poured out his very life unto the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He didn't leave anything on the field. (laughs) Number two, Timothy, a life poured out. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Sincerely care, Philippians, for your physical, for your mental, and for your spiritual state. Now watch verse 21. For all seek their own, but not the things which are of Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying there? This person who genuinely and sincerely cares for the state of other people is a rare breed. They are few and far in between. They are scarce. They are uncommon. Because the majority of people seek their own. Not the things of Christ. What are the things of Christ? You. You are the things of Christ. When the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, God is not in the real estate business. When it says God so loved the world, he loves people. He loves you. That is, that is the business that God is in, and that was the business that Paul and Timothy were in. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now, understand this. We all have interests. We've talked about that from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-4. through four. We all have interests, right? I mean, there, there's interests that I have in myself, my wife, my children. But there is, a, there, is a greater, there is a greater interest, right? I mean, we all care for our family members. Some people, you know, they, they think that just merely caring for their family members is to be in a place of really being concerned about the interests of Christ. Everybody cares about their family members. If you don't care about your family, if you don't care about your spouse, right? If you don't care about your children, and if you, you know, you don't care about your grandkids... You know, Paul says, "If uh, the, the word of God, Paul says, if if you don't care about them, you're worse than an infidel. You're you're an unbeliever. You're worse than an unbeliever. That's just normal. God has put that in our heart. It's natural, just natural, to love and care for your spouse, for your children, for your grandchildren. But caring for other people outside of your, you know, family. That's why he's saying, this is the rare person." And it's rare in the church. <laughs> it's rare here. It's rare in churches. I mean, you got some people here who really care about each other. You got people here who make sacrifices to care for each other and love each other. But you got some people here, they don't give a damn about anybody sitting around them. They're here purely for selfish reasons. What am I going to get, right? What am I going to get today? What, what am I going to Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. If our obedience even came close to the amount of feeding, that we get, my goodness, we'd be dangerous to the enemy. So he he says it. Now watch in, in verse 22. But you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with him. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Notice what he says. Timothy was proven. Dokima, in the Greek. He he was proven. He, he He had proven himself in the process. He had proven himself over the course of time with his consistency. He had proven himself and shown himself to be true. He was proven through the test. He was proven and tried through the fires. He was proven and tried through the temptations. And he remained true to Jesus. He remained true to his calling. He remained true... To loving God and loving his neighbor as himself, a life poured out. Do you know where we're proven? Do you know where we're tested? It's not when things are easy. It doesn't prove anything. Right? When things are easy. We, we are proven, essentially, when the crap hits the fan. That's where we're really proven when, when time gets hard. I want to say this to you. God is much, much more concerned about your response when the crap hits the fan in your life than about the crap. Do, do you understand that? See, we, 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 when, when the crap hits the fan... Get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here, Lord God, help me, help me, help me, Lord, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here. God is more concerned about your reaction, your attitude, than the very crap that has just hit you and come into your life. Crap is the test when, when it comes into your life. How do you respond to it? How do you react to it? I want to tell you this. Timothy, he lived in a time where it wasn't easy to be a Christian. Right? They just go over what Paul went through. Timothy didn't go through what Paul went through, but Timothy did go through persecution. Timothy did go through attacks. Timothy did go through hard times. And his faith and his Christian godly attitude is where he was proven. And he demonstrated. Right, a, a genuine faith and a genuine love for Jesus and us. You know, when, when when the crap hits the fan, it's so easy to say, "Man, the hell with you all! I don't want to be bothered." Right? It's just so easy to do that. Right? When I get you got problem and I got problem, I don't want to be bothered with anybody. I don't want to be bothered with other people's problems. I don't want to be bothered with other stuff going on in, in my life. Right? Isn't that so easy to do that? Some of you look a little convicted right now. I got problems. You got problems, we all got problems, and Timothy had problems, but Timothy still loved, and he still cared for, and he still was looking out for the interests of other people, and that's a life poured out. Number three, Epaphrodites, a life poured out. You ever hear this guy, Epaphrodites? What's great about Epaphrodites right now in this text is, you see, Paul was an apostle. Timothy was a pastor. Jesus is the Messiah. But Epaphrodites, he's just one of us. Epaphrodites is just a, a Christian. right? If you, at, if you look at verse 25 through 30, yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother. Right? He was a brother in the Lord. He's a fellow worker. Notice the word work. That carries with it a concept of labor, sweat, Maybe some tears, maybe even a little blood. Fellow soldier, right? He's fighting the good fight. We live in a world that is not a playground, but a battleground. Put on the armor of God and go out because every day is going to be a battle. But your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, he was a minister. He ministered to Jesus through Paul, and he ministered to Jesus through the Philippians. That's how we minister to people. Because if you just merely minister to people, you're going to get discouraged. I've taught this through the years. It was one of the greatest revelations that God gave me because I'm ministering to people and they don't appreciate it, right? Sometimes people aren't, not not all people. Some people aren't grateful. Some people take you for granted, right? Some people just want and want and want and you can never give enough. So even today, understand I'm ministering to Jesus here through you. Because Jesus is always appreciative, Jesus is always grateful, Jesus is always encouraging when we're ministering. So he was a, he was a minister, and then he says, since he was longing for you all, and he was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Right? You know he's he's grieving because the Philippians are grieving that he was ill. He had a heart. He had a heart for for people. That goes back. To Philippians chapter one, right? I have you in my heart. I have you in my mind. I have you in my prayers. I have you in my emotions. He really cared. And then verse twenty-eight: Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ he came close to death. He almost died. He poured him out so. He poured his life out so greatly that it almost killed him. Not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. What an example, right? But he's just—he's just another brother. (laughs) He's—he's not an apostle. He's not a pastor. He's a picture of what it is to be a true Christian. A picture of a true Christian who poured out his life for Jesus. And that's a life of joy. Number four. Jesus. A life poured out. So I'm going to bring you back... If I was going in order, I would have started with Jesus, but I want to finish with Jesus because there is nobody who poured out their life more than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. This is one of the greatest passages that you will find in Scripture. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. See the words, made himself of no reputation. That is the Greek word kenosis. And what it means is he emptied himself of his divine powers. Now this is very confusing because people will say then he wasn't God. But to understand what he did in the incarnation he put off his divine powers for a time and after the resurrection he took them back on. I use this this illustration. When my son Frank was growing up we would wrestle. And um, you know, 200, sometimes 250 pounds during, uh, you know, him growing up. And he was a little kid. And I would wrestle with him and I would let him beat me. I mean, he's like like sometimes two years old, five years old, ten years old. And i let him beat me. Don't tell him this. (laughs) But I could have beat him at any moment. I chose not to use my power. I chose not to use. By the way, my son today—he is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor, in uh, its police combatants, uh, combatives that he teaches in Pennsylvania. So now he could kick my butt. But at that time, you know, that's—I put off my power, and that is what Jesus did. That's kenosis. He chose not to use this, but could have used it at any moment. So people say, well, how did he do the miracles? He did them through the Holy Spirit to demonstrate us how to, demonstrate to us how we should live the Christian life. So taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He poured out his life for us. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and on those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of, uh, of God the Father. He poured out his life. before. The night before Jesus was crucified, he does, he does this thing. Of course, it, it doesn't compare to what he did on Friday. But on Thursday night, at the end of the Last Supper, You can see it recorded in John 13. It says that he loved his followers to the very end. And um, he laid aside his garment. He took off his outer garment. And he took a towel and put it around his waist. By the way, he, he took off his outer garment. That is a picture of him putting aside his divinity. And then he took a towel. That is a picture of him putting on his humanity. Fully God, fully man. And then he began to wash the apostles' feet. And he comes to Peter. And Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you can have no part with me. And then Peter says in his obsession, wash my head, wash my body, wash all of me. And Jesus says to him, you've already been bathed. All you need to do is have your feet washed. What do you mean? Peter had already been forgiven. Is there something that becomes confusion? We are already forgiven in Christ. All your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Then why do we need to confess? We need to get our feet washed because as we walk in the world, our feet get dirty. And those sins, right? Those sins that happen along our walk They get in between us and God, and they mess up our relationship with God. They become a block with God, and they can get us into really bad trouble being disciplined by God. That's why we need to come to Him every day and confess our sins and repent from them. So, Peter, you need a foot washing. So Jesus washes his feet. He washes the other eleven's feet. Judas is taken off. He's out to betray him. And then he got up and he put his garment back on. Was that a picture? This picture of the resurrection. And then Jesus said this. I want you to I want you to notice this. So he says, so when I had, wa-, So when he had washed their feet, taking uh, his garments and sat down again, sat down at the right hand of the Father. He said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, the greatest example that has ever been given. Nobody comes close. You could read about Buddha, and I like some things about Buddha. You could read about Muhammad or Zoroaster or anybody else. Nobody even comes close. the example of Yeshua. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. And then he says this, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That word blessed is, is, is a key word. The word is makarios. So when you have the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. It is a supernatural blessing that comes to us from above. And it comes to us when? When we pour out our life. That's when it comes to us. When we pour out our life, this supernatural, macarious blessing comes upon us. When we love others, when we care for others, when we edify others, or encourage others, or forgive others, when we serve others, that is when this incredible, makarios blessing comes upon our lives. And that is the example of Jesus. So here's our our keynotes. And I want to take a few minutes longer than I normally do with a few keynotes today. First keynote, talking about being poured out. Live and you die, die and you live. So Jesus said in Mark chapter 835, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. The person who pours out their life is the person who lives. The person who clings to their life is the person who dies. So he says, you know, you you need to die. Die to what? die to your ego, die to your selfishness, die to your selfish desires, die to your obsession with comfort. That's America, man. We are obsessed with comfort. The, 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 I mean, entertainment, food, we are obsessed with it. Gluttony. The more you die, though, to those lesser things, the more you live. The more you die to the smaller things, the more you live to the bigger things. You know what? This is true. It's not only true of the Christian life. Jesus is using a principle here. It's true of all life. It's, it's true of the athlete. Who die, he dies to his laziness. He, he dies to the easy chair to go onto the athletic field, to train, to go to the gym and train, and he gets better and better. Therefore, he lives out his dream. It's true of the scholar. He, he dies again to, to entertainment, he dies to laziness, so that he can go out and become a scholar, a billion person. We have doctors here. They, they died. They died to their, you know, to their selfishness. They died to their laziness to become medical doctors. I mean, how many years, do you guys, 12 years of, of, of schooling and internship or residency to become a, a doctor? It, it's true of, of great investors right? They, they, they put aside, they turn off the television to read the books. They, they, they turn away from those things of just wasting time to learn about investing. What happens? They become rich and wealthy, learning how money works. One of my favorite poems. The heights of great men, scaled and kept, was not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, they toiled upward in the night. You look at anybody who was great in their field, whether, again, it could be athletics, it could be education, it could be business, it could be the church, and you will find that those are men and they are women. While their companions were sleeping, they were climbing and growing. And that's true. Simple principle. Live and you die, die and you live. Uh, second here, sacrifice. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14-15 For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Why did you come to Jesus? I want you to really stop. I want you to stop and I want you to be incredibly transparent and honest with yourself right now. Why did you come to Jesus? Did anybody in this room come to Jesus? Because they just wanted to glorify him, serve him, and just lay down their life and surrender for him. Did anybody come to Jesus with reasons like that? Now, why did we come to Jesus? We came to Jesus, essentially, think of this, because of selfish reasons. And I say self-reasons. We came to Jesus because we wanted to be saved from hell. We came to Jesus maybe because we wanted peace or we wanted joy. We came to Jesus because we wanted to be forgiven. We came to Jesus because we want to go to heaven, right? That's why we came to I'm guilty. Let me see. Who else is guilty here? Yeah, right? And the rest of you didn't raise your hands, you're you're full of it. So understand for the love of Christ compels us. Came because right, he laid down his life for us, offered us a way to salvation. Now when when you come to Jesus for those self reasons, and you experience his love, and you're experiencing his grace, and you're experiencing his mercy, you're experiencing his friendship, that suddenly you realize you have the best friend that you ever imagined you could have. Now, what happens, see, the love of Christ compels us Because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live now, how am I going to live, right? For this one who loves me so much. This one who took all my sins upon himself on the cross. This one who hung there with, right, three nails. Two in his hands, one in his foot. He hung there one Friday for me for six hours, taking all my sins upon himself. He died, right, for me. That I should live. No longer for myself, but for him who died for them and rose again. You try living for Christ and not experiencing that love, good luck. Because you're going to have a really hard time. But when you have experienced his incredible sacrifice for your life, that is the motivation. Again, the word we are compelled to then live for Him. And this whole life, the sacrifice of time, of talent, of treasure, becomes just an act of love. And the Christian life becomes enjoyable. It then becomes easy to pour out your life. Last one. Oh, let me say, no, not last one yet. I have two more to you. You willing to stay for two more? Risk. To pour out your life involves risk. Maybe some of you are sitting here right now and you're counting the cost to really pour out my life for Christ. Because there's a risk involved. In Matthew chapter 25, 14, 15, you have the parable of the talents. And it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them and to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Now you know the story, right? He gave, he gave one five, one two, and one one. The one with the five, what did he do with it? He invested it. You ever invest? Have you ever invested something that had no risk? If you have something that is yielding 10 15 20% that has no risk, Please tell me about it, because I haven't found an investment, okay, in stocks, and bonds, in real estate, or in crypto that comes with no risk. He invested it. He invested the five, and he earned five more, and he had ten. And the one with the two, what did he do with it? And he ended up with two more, and he had four. And then the one, what did he do with it? He buried it. Wouldn't invest it. He wouldn't even invest it in a T-bill, in a bank account. He buried it. Why did he bury it? Fear. Motivated by fear. He was even fearful. He was fearful of the master, Fearful, in a sense fearful of God. But he refused to put his talent at risk. And when the master came, he took that one talent from the man who buried it and he gave it to the one who had ten. And he says, for he who has will be given more. And again, that is another true principle of life. Because you refuse to risk. And to pour out your life is to risk. Let me read a great poem to you. Only a person who risks is free. The author is unknown. Whoever wrote this was an incredible, incredible poem. To laugh is to risk appearing the fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach for another is to risk involvement. To expose your ideas, your dreams before the crowd is to risk their loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To believe is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. But risk must be taken because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. Those that do not risk may avoid suffering and sorrow, but they cannot learn, feel, change, grow, love, or live. Only a person who risks is free. I really do believe that. And I've noticed the people in my life who have the most life in them are people who have got out on a limb and they have risked it. There is great joy in the risk. Last point and we're done. Expect the blessing of all blessings when you pour out your life. What is the blessing of all blessings? I'm going to share with what I think the Bible teaches is the blessing of all blessings. I think for me, this is the blessing of all blessings. I don't think there's, there's really any blessing that I could possibly think of that would come close to this blessing. Hey, you know what it is. I know you know what it is, right? Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. I don't think there is any blessing that could equate to that. Whether it's if we were raptured, or whether we just die. And the angels come and they usher us right into the presence of the Lord. And you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Do you realize there are going to be some people in the church who won't hear that? Look at 1 Corinthians 3. There are going to be some people in the church who actually seems to say that they're saved and escape. They escape, it says like their hineys are singed but they're saved into heaven. That's not like they're, they're escaping just barely from the flames. But Jesus is their Savior and Lord. But he doesn't say, well done, good and faithful servant. to Enter in. There's no reward for you. There's no crown for you. But for those who have been faithful, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. To me, that is the greatest blessing that one can have. I just fall down at his feet. People say, what am I going to do when I see you? I'm going to dance around and raise my hands. I'll just fall down at his feet. That's the place where I belong. Thank you, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because you did it all. Amen? Let's pray together. Hey, wait, look look up at me a second. Just a second. The Christian life is a very serious thing. It's a very serious thing. I hope you're taking your Christian life seriously. I hope you're taking being here today seriously. I hope you're not just playing, you know, playing church. Because it, it, it will determine whether you're in heaven or hell. And it will determine whether you're going to go into the next life and be rewarded or not. So just, we'll end with that. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Lord God, for the four examples that you give to us. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and most, most, most of all, the example of Yeshua, our Savior, our Messiah. And we give you thanks for that, Lord God. May we commit ourselves today to being followers of you, Lord God, not merely being fans. May we commit ourselves today, Lord God, to living the life that you called us to live, to live in your love and bathe ourselves in your love every day, that, Lord God, we would be compelled to lay down our life for you and pour out our lives into the lives of others. May we live genuine Christian lives, Lord God, in a world where there is so much fakery and phoniness. May we be genuine. In Jesus' name, amen.